class of the book of Romans. Now, if you are able, I would like to ask you to to take your Bible and uh, follow with me, if possible, please, because we we are uh, a Bible school student. We study Bible and we go verse by verse uh, many times, and it's important to read it and see it with your own eyes. So please uh, turn into the book of Romans, chapter 6. We will start to read there also with a few previous verses. So dear God, bless this moment, speak to us, we just ask you. Thank you that the word of God is so rich. Thank you God that it's like a two-edged sword piercing and dividing asunder. It makes a clear cut. It gives uh, discernment what's right, what's wrong. It gives discernment what is natural uh, and what is spiritual. What is a wisdom from above and from below. What is a life and what is death. Thank you, God, that we have these means. Speak to us. Use the sword. We need you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so turning to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 6. <clears throat> and before we read verse 1, we have to go a few more verses back. So basically, uh, verse 20. This is, the, this is the main verse we ended up uh, last time. So verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense, offense might abound. So this is, the, this is the reason of the law. Why the law was given, given. Why the law entered. That the offense might abound. Because uh, as we know, like without the law, or through the law is the knowledge of sin. And then it says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So now we have this amazing principle. You know, uh, we learn that we are sinners, we learn the definition of sin, there is conviction, but that's not the end. Grace comes and abounds and multiplies. And this is really beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, victory of this grace. And we spoke about this much more in, in, the, in the Romans chapter 5, uh, where it says, and much more, much more, many times in many places. For example, Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Much more, the previous verse was that Christ died for us and did all these things, and much more, there is something even greater. We are now justified, and we are saved from the wrath, from the judgment, because we have Christ's righteousness, uh, and much more, much more, and then we come to this verse 20, where sin abound, grace did much more. As a grace believer, or we can say biblical believer, because uh, <clears throat> uh, the message of grace is the epitome or, or the peak message of, of the Bible. Everything 
uh, aims to it, uh, grace and truth came by, by Jesus, uh, the law by Moses. So we know that uh, we are grace believers, and you will face many challenges as a grace believer from the people who will try to introduce law. Uh, you will experience it. <clears throat> and where does it come from? We see that Paul was facing the same, uh, same thing, verse 6-1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? <clears throat> this is the argument uh, of these people. People say, well, if you preach grace, uh, the sin will abound. You know, civil sin will multiply. This is their natural conclusion. If you give people such a huge freedom, they think that the grace means not responsibility, which is not truth, but in their understanding. And they, in so-called fear of God, say, well, grace is not the mean uh, how to communicate uh, the truth of the Bible, because we are afraid that, uh, that uh, sin will uh, come. Many people will tell you, uh, we want to have a pure church. And uh, I understand this hard desire, but the conclusion is not that you introduce the law. Now we will see in this chapter 6, uh, the clear understanding of this principle. It says here, verse 2, or let's read it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, it says here, in the ori original Greek, it, there is a, there is a, a, a word uh, genomai, and there is this uh, uh, connection of the words megeomai, which means no, and this word geomai means from the word gen, geomai, gen, generate something, generate. So it means no, it will not be generated. Uh, it will not come to existence. It will not become. So basically the Greek says no, it will not happen. How? And this is the, this is the question for this uh, person who asks, well, the grace will introduce sin, uh, and it says, no, this is not possible, it will not happen. How shall we, who are dead to sin, live any longer therein? And here, in a 6.2, we have this beautiful key answer. Because people do not sin because of the fear of the law. Don't think that people will stop sinning because you will introduce the law. It will not stop anybody from sinning. The law will just point out and give definition. But it says here that the key is new life. How shall we, who are dead to sin, we died to this old life? We are a new people. We are a new creation. We are a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Whoever is in Christ he has become a new creation. How can we, who are new, we are blood-bought Christians, uh, we are the redeemed ones, 
we have been uh, justified, Romans 5, 9, 5, 1, being justified, uh, how shall we continue in sin? It will not happen, it's impossible, because we have nothing to do with the old man, and we will see it here later on. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Here this word, <clears throat> know ye not, is agnoel. Uh, you can see clearly uh, it's coming from two words, a and gnosis, which means knowledge, and a is the negative, uh, basically saying there is no knowledge. So agnostic is a person who has uh, basically no idea, he's ignorant of these truths. And he says here, don't be agnosis, <clears throat> don't be not knowing these truths. He says here, 6-3, you don't know this? He speaks to the church, to the believers, and he explains them. And also in the arguments to these people who are opposing this teaching. He says, don't you know it? You have no knowledge of this, agnosis. You are agnostic in this matter. You don't know it. That so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. When a person comes to Jesus and places his trust in the saving work of the cross, he is baptized in the moment of salvation, in the moment of faith. This has nothing to do with water baptism. Okay? I'll show you and I'll, I'll explain you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we will see it here, verse 13. It says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. It says, by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. This happens, as we said, in the moment of salvation. When a person truly places his trust in the saving work of the cross. Basically, we mentioned this many times. Uh, you understand you are a sinner. You understand that... Uh, uh, Christ is the God in flesh who took your place on the cross where he paid for your sins. He, he shed his precious blood as a payment before God and uh, if you receive this by pistis, trusting or believing it, you are justified and saved. In that moment you receive the same spirit and you are baptized into one body. This is the spiritual baptism. This is what it's speaking about. And he says that we are baptized into Jesus. We believed. We are in Christ. We spoke. You are either in Adam or in Christ. And uh, the whole Romans chapter 5 speaks about this. It makes the contrast. You, either you are in Adam or you are in Christ. So he is now revealing this truth and working with it. And he says, so now we are in Christ, we have been baptized into Christ, <clears throat> and at the same time we were baptized into his death. That's what we say, this 
uh, we call it this uh, retroactive action. When Jesus died and was buried and rose again, at the moment of salvation, we were co-crucified, co-buried and co-resurrected together with him. This is what is being spoken here. We were baptized into his death, meaning we die to the old man, we die to the old life, we have something new and something uh, better. Uh, on the same, uh, on the same meaning of the word speaks Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-seven, and we can see: For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Again, uh, because previous verse says that by faith in Christ Jesus. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. By believing, we have been baptized into Christ and we have put on Christ, the new man. Uh, <clears throat> there is one very interesting verse speaking about water baptism because some people are placing the water baptism as a condition for salvation. Uh, it comes again from agnosis, uh, not understanding, not knowing, uh, not being educated in the matter. Uh, when we look at the First Peter, uh, let me let me read it for you. First Peter, chapter three, verse twenty-one. It says, "In the same manner, when un were unto baptism, thus also now save us." This is beautiful verse. Let's read it. In the same manner as a baptism does also now save us. But it's not the end. It says here, save us not. Baptism saves us not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So this is it. Baptism is not the act that you go under the water and you are being washed by this water, and then you come out of the water, and then you are truly saved, then you have been truly washed from all your sins, and etc. It says here, baptism doesn't save us by the washing of the filth of the flesh, but only as the answer of a good conscience toward God, basically obedience of faith. We, our sins have been washed by the blood of Christ only. No deeds are uh, included. It's by grace alone, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We have been saved by grace through faith. So believing in Jesus, we are washed by the blood and then we, because of the obedience, go under the water as a testimony. <clears throat> we spoke about the baptism. We have a class about it. Uh, you can listen to it. It's one class dedicated totally to baptism. Uh, and it speaks uh, that the baptism is a testimony. Testimony to the angels uh, and demons and the Satan. Testimony to God. Testimony to the believers around. Testimony to the unbelieving world. And it's a picture of what happened with us as we are reading here. We go underwater as a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection together with Jesus Christ.
So uh, back to the Romans, we just mentioned the, the water baptism because it was uh, necessary just to see it in this light. Okay, so now, uh, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. This is beautiful. This is, this is what happened. We died, the old man died, and we can walk in the newness of life. When you look at all the psychology, uh, when you look at the uh, works-based religions, uh, when you look at the wisdom of the world, they are always dealing with the old man. They are always dealing with the corrupted old man who died together with Christ. They are trying to fix this old man. It says here, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, again, knowing, do you know this? You know, we should know it. That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is uh, free or uh, uh, legally free, justified from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing, again, knowing, oida, this is the absolute knowledge, just know it. We know that Christ being raised from death, dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. And now he lives unto God. And then it says that, verse 11, recon yourself to be dead, just realize in your mind that you are dead. This is the key to all Christian psychology and how to deal with the, uh, with the deadly works programs. You know, uh, people are trying to help with the past, uh, wrong or bad past experiences, uh, traumas. You know, many people experience like terrible horrors of the past. Uh, <clears throat> old wounds, the uh, Bible speaks about old incurable wound on the heart, uh, uh, abuses of ghosts from the past, like many people went through like hell on earth, literally, we can say. And the Christian psychology comes and tries to fix this old man which has been shattered to pieces. When you take an old vase, you know, and you, you, you let it fall on the ground and it's broken. Not just one crack and broken into a house, but shattered in pieces. And now we are trying to put it with the glue and fix the old man. This is what the, what the psychology does. They are speaking about the past, they are speaking about uh, the effects of what happened, how it influences you, how you should deal with it, how you should... Uh, <clears throat> suppress it into your conscious, subconscious, and unconscious uh, mind. 
or you should dig it in your unconscious mind and, and draw it out and, and many different methods. But it's all always dealing with the old sinful man. And there is no cure for, for the old man. He mentioned this, somebody asked me recently, how do you heal wounded heart? Well, the answer is glorious. You cannot. You cannot. That's the old man which has been hurt. Let him die, let him stay in the grave, <coughs> excuse me, and we live in the newness of life, in the resurrection, in a totally different life, in the same manner as Christ was risen and the death could not hold him the same way we live in the newness, in the new man, in the new heart. The old broken heart, the old shattered heart into pieces, the old wound which is still bleeding and and uh, full of, I don't know, whatever. Uh, it cannot be cured and healed. Let's not try to work with old man. The psychology is, he is dead, let him be dead. Problem is, if the person who comes for the counseling is not born again, then he, has, he doesn't have a new life, and he has only the old life, he's still in Adam, in, in the wounded Adam, and he has no other solution. But we, born again Christians, we have a new birth, new beginning, new life with Christ. We live in a new man, it says here, which dies not. The new Christ cannot be heard. We live in Christ, not in Adam. If somebody ever hurts you, well, then he hurted your old Adam, and we are not staying there, we don't want to be connected with this. <clears throat> How does it happen? It says here, <clears throat> Likewise, reckon you yourself to be dead, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. This word for reckon is logizomai. The whole chapter 6 speaks about these words, knowing, knowing, knowing. Using these three words, it's using it's using uh, gnosis. Don't be agnostic. Don't be ignorant. First, know it, and he says, "Don't you know?" Then it says, "Oida" in verse nine. <coughs> know for sure, and then it says eleven. Logizomai means to make log log logical conclusion. Can't you make from all this logical conclusion, which is? You also yourself be dead indeed, you are truly indeed unto sin. And now, in the light of these passages, we are dead to sin, we live in the newness of life. Now we can read again 6.1. How they can say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, megenomai, uh, it means no, generated. It will not be generated. It will not happen. It cannot happen. How shall we live that are dead to sin? How can we live in it any longer therein? He just makes this conclusion like, like you guys, you didn't get it. How come you come with this argument of the law, that the law has to be given because grace will lead people to free sinning? 
Don't you know it? Are you agnostics? Are you ignorant? You cannot you understand that we live in a new life and we are dead to sin and dead to old life? That's the victory. The only part on our side is to know it, be sure about it, and make a logical conclusion that this is it, that we are dead to the old life. How can we live otherwise when we are newborn creatures? This is so beautiful and so powerful. And then it says, verse 13, don't give your members as an instrument to sin. <clears throat> verse 14, for sin shall have no dominion over you. Oh, this is what people want. That the sin would have no dominion over you. That the sin would have no rule over you. Uh, basically, these verses 13 and 14 speaking about sin, it speaks about old sin nature. The sin in us, the old sin nature, will have no dominion. Oh, this is the goal of many religious people, of many uh, holiness movement, of many Puritans and other groups, that they would live sinless, perfect life. And also, we want to live life without sin, if possible. And this is the answer. Sin shall have no dominion over you. Oh, Pastor, tell us how, how it will happen. How this will happen. For you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the conclusion. He says that the law gave the power to sin, but you are dead to the law, you are dead to the sin, you are not debted to the law, you don't owe him nothing. Legally, you are free from him. It says here, verse 7, 6, 7, it has nothing to do with you. And because you are not under this law, you are living in a new life, in a new man, you put on Christ, you are living in Christ, and Christ does not sin. So being in Christ means we live in the newness of life, and we do not sin is the result. The sin shall have no dominion. It doesn't rule over us. Why? Why the sin doesn't rule over us? Because we are under grace, not under law. So this is, this is so paradoxical. People will say, well, you will introduce grace and the sin will multiply. People will be like uh, uh, unrestricted in their behavior. Well, basically it's the opposite. If you introduce the law, the sin will have dominion over them because the law is appealing to the old man, to Adam. The old man is connected to the law. The law is appealing to him. The law is addressing those who are in Adam, the, the old man. But we live in Christ under grace. It has like nothing to do with us at all. The dominion of sin has the power over those who are under the law. Introducing the law into any system will multiply that people will be breaking the law. And because we mentioned in the book of James, we live by the royal law of love. Just a simple example. The law says you shall not steal. But the love is fulfillment of the law. If you love your neighbor, 
as yourself, you will not feel. Because you love him. And this is how we live in this newness of life. In Christ, there's something which comes from above, something which, which went through death and has been resurrected. It's something supernatural, something so beautiful. Verse 14, uh, 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Again, the same question. Okay, so what, what now? So we are not under the law. The law is not holding us anymore, doesn't put boundaries on us. So shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And he says again, God forbid, King James, but in, in, a, in a real megenomai. We spoke about it. Megenomai. It will not be generated. It will not happen. It will not happen. Again, verse 16. Know ye not agnosis? You have no gnosis? You have no knowledge about this? I am shocked that you don't know this. You don't know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants, you are to, ho to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Basically, to whom you give yourself, there you are in this obedience and in this service. If you give yourself to sin, you are slave of sin. You are in Adam, you are living in the old man, or reckon logitsomai, make a logical conclusion, and live in resurrected Christ, in your newness of life, in the obedience unto righteousness. And he says, and God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, <clears throat> but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. You believed which is so beautiful. Now, this thing is uh, uh, very important because in these verses we mentioned that in this chapter 6 he's using these words. Know, in a sense, oida, the absolute knowledge, like I'm sure about the logitsomai, which is logical conclusion, uh, then, uh, then we spoke about agnosis or not knowing, being agnostic or gnosis knowledge, knowing, which means know, uh, uh, make conclusions, think about it, make a decision, yield yourself, it means to give yourself to something. And he is using this appeal to understanding. Don't you understand that you are dead to sin? Don't you understand that you are a new person? Don't you understand that legally you are free from the old sin and old law, Romans uh, 6, 7. And this has nothing to do with our emotions. You may hear people sometimes and they will say, you know, uh, I think, or they'll say, you know what, I feel that it's like this. Some, some people will even use the word believe. They will say, you know, I believe that if you sin, you lose your salvation, etc., etc. It's worth using. I think, I feel, uh, I believe. This belief is based on their uh, on their feelings, not on the scriptures. But he says you have received from the obeyed from the heart 
this form of doctrine which was given to you. This doctrine was given to us. Look at this. This is the doctrine. This is the teaching we go through. It's being given to us. We have to receive it and obey it from the heart. Truly believe it. Not like I feel. I don't like it. I spoke recently with someone and I said, you know, it's a big problem because uh, the heaven, question of heaven and hell is a question of being just before God. It's not a question if you were good or bad person on the earth uh, in connection with your deeds. And he said, well, I don't like it because it would mean that all these good Muslims, very good Muslims, just because they have another faith, uh, they go to hell. And this is the problem. When people started to mix their emotions, well, I feel, I don't like, it doesn't appeal to me, uh, I'm not in tune with this, uh, it may be archaic or it's too strong, and you can use all kinds of words. I think, I feel, I believe, this is what we believe, this form of doctrine. Bible says it, so it is. So simple. Remember this, Bible says it, so it is. And Paul says here, receive it, know it, look it for my oida, gnosis. Don't be agnostic, don't be ignorant of these truths. He's, he's warning them here already, second or third time, don't be agnostic of these truths. Just know it, how grace is powerful and what all and everything it does in our lives. And verse 18, it says, being made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. You see, this is the result. Because we are known and we have been made free from the sin, we now are servants of righteousness. This is our position. And then he says, then live it. This is who you are. Live it. I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your flesh. Basically saying, he says, I don't know how to explain it to you otherwise. That's why I speak in this manner. And he says, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When you live in Adam, you live under the sin. You have nothing to do with righteousness. But when you leave and you are dead to sin, then you live in this righteousness. Verse 21. What fruit had you then in those things when you lived in sin? Whereof you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. This is a very powerful verse. It says, what fruit had you then in those things? You know, remember, no, don't remember when you lived there what fruit you had. Because it says here, this is the conclusion, the end of those things is death. Things that you are now ashamed. You know, there is a, there is a uh, progress in sin. Uh, I, would, I would divide sin into three basic stages. First is sin in the sense that somebody falls into sin. Let's say, you do something, you fall in it, and then you just get up and you are ashamed. Uh, you feel sorry, you have regrets. Uh, you, you come for confession, you, you, are, you are truly sorry. 
you knew, you know you made a mistake. It's a one kind of sin. Everybody sins and this is the right approach. You sin and you use so-called the doctrine of rebound. You fall down, then rebound back into the same position. Like Pastor Stevens used to teach, throwing a ball on the ground, it comes back into your hand. Come back in the same position. You fell down, just come back. Confess it before God, you are clean. Then there is another stage, and it's a sin in your private chamber. That's something you do, like nobody knows about it. Behind the closed door, in, your, in, the, in the private chamber of your heart, nobody sees. And that's something you do not confess. That's something that you hold on to. You have it hidden there, and you don't want to give it to God. It's your secret. And you know, God knows. And then there is a third stage, and it's an evil when the sin takes on the form of evil, and it means you, you confess and promote your freedom to do it. It means if somebody comes to you with conviction, if the scripture tells you that this is a sin, you say, no, I have freedom. We can say, for example, drinking. I know some people uh, who are Christians and who had strong convictions on drinking. Uh, drinking alcohol is a sin, by the way. Uh, they had this strong conviction. Later on, they received this so-called freedom. They left the Christian fellowship. They are not part of any church. And they drink, and not just they drink it, but they basically started to evangelize with this evil, and they promote it as an as a acceptable lifestyle. Drinking beer is acceptable lifestyle. It means that the sin that they used to do in the beginning, they got drunk. Next morning, they were sorry, and they confessed. It came into secret drinking. They were drinking secretly as a private chamber. Nobody knew about it. At home, at the evening, at the TV, drinking beer. But later on, it took on a form of this evil propaganda, heraldic, you know, uh, evangelism. I have a freedom to drink alcohol, and you have no right to tell me anything and to stop me. It means when the sin takes on the form of evil, satanic evangelism, so-called proclaimed, I have freedom. But it means you are a slave living in the old Adam. It's in the first place. In the second, if you are saved at all. God knows and you know. Another thing is, and this emotional rebellion takes on, for example, when we mention the hell. Uh, many people, because of the hell, and we read uh, Revelation 20, verse 10, about the lake of fire. It says here, let's read it, because uh, that's why we are in the Bible school, right? We have the Bibles and we do it. Revelation 20, it says here, verse 10, and the devil and the, and, and the deceived, I'm oh, sorry, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. 
this is the second death. There's the lake of fire. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Continuous action with the uh, unending result eternal. Hell is eternal. Now, problem is, if I think, well, I cannot receive this thought because my grandmother died and she never believed in Jesus, but she was such a good person. I cannot receive this thought that the hell is eternal because I am puzzled by it in my emotions. And that's why people come with the things like Ochistilishte, uh, Purgatory, because it gives them false hope. Oh, I believe that after 1,000 of years of punishment, she will go through purgatory, and later on we will be all united in heaven. Uh, many people speak this, many different sects which are left the biblical truth speak on this wise. They don't believe in eternal hell. Why? Because of emotional problem. It's called iniquity, emotional rebellion, iniquity. That's what happened to the devil, uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. He said, I will lift up myself, and why, Ezekiel 28, because iniquity was found in his heart, emotional rebellion. He heard something that he could, did not like and could not accept. We have to submit to the truth. This is the form of doctrine which was delivered. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you don't like it that it speaks that you are either in Adam or in Christ. You are, you are under the grace or under the law. You choose where you are. Maybe you don't like it. You have an emotional problem with these truths. Well, you have to submit. You have to come on your knees before God and pray and read and study. And that's why we go here verse by verse that we would explain it so simply that people would understand. These truths, this form of doctrine which was once delivered to us, Romans 6, 17, we have to accept by faith we have to obey it from the heart. Know it. Learn it. Oida. Uh, gnosis. Logizomai. Be assured about it. Because Paul says, don't you know it? You don't know these truths? That's why you make these false cons uh, assumptions. Because you don't know it. You don't know these biblical truths. Being in Adam, being in Christ, being under the law, being under the grace, being under the curse, being blessed, being lost, being redeemed, and many other things. Being uh, the, uh, the child of wrath or being the child of God, uh, the, which is saved from wrath to come from the judgment. We are justified, Romans 5, 1, Romans uh, uh, 5, Nine, being now justified. This is so beautiful, that's why we are learning it. So let's remember, we are dead to Adam, we are alive in Christ, we are not fixing the old man, uh, the solution is to live in a new heart. We live new life. That's why it's popular, these games, uh, second life, if I could live my life, the second uh, if I could have another chance to live my life again, we have in Christ. We have a new life. It's a holy life. It's a pure. It's coming from heaven. That's where we are. And the Christ sinneth not. This is beautiful.
God bless you. Uh, see you next class. We will finish Romans 6 and start Romans 7. This is so powerful. God bless you. Amen.